0: It's our responsibility as teachers, and also really important for you, that we give you an under, a Dhamma understanding of the practice of dhana or the practice of giving, because it's an integral part of the Buddhist teachings. It's not separate from the Buddhist teachings. If you don't have this understanding, then the practice of dhana kind of gets demoted to something like um, a quid pro quo, quo, where we give something and then you give something in return. But it isn't that at all. It's something much more spiritual than that. And so it's helpful for you to understand it in a Dharma uh, spiritual way. In the West, there is, of course, a cost when we go to retreat. Because uh, it costs to have this place and people people are paid and they're also on a donna system here the staff and in one way or another Don will explain how that goes uh, to you late later on uh, and also you know trying to get us here from all different places around the globe sometimes that costs so all of those, um, finances are put together and then there's a general cost for each one of you, specific cost to get here. Same for us when we go to retreats. But it has to be really, really clear that the teachings that we offer you, our time and all of our practice and our study, all of it that all of the teachers and even the staff, all of us involved in the offering of the Dhamma, give it freely. We don't give it for any expectation uh, to receive anything in exchange for that. In fact, sometimes people do think it that way and, you know, because that's the way business goes in the West. But the, but the Dhamma is not a business. The Dhamma is an offering that we give to you from, from the deepest part of our hearts because we know that it's really important for our ongoingness, our deepening, and our liberation. And that's what this Dhamma talk is all about. So since the time of the Buddha, the teachings have been given freely. The teachings of the Buddha are so precious that they cannot be quantified in terms of, it's this much for this many days, or this is how we figure it out. A lot of people try to figure out what that would be. The teachings are priceless, so there's no amount that you could put to it. Um, a lot of times people say, well, you know, t- there's talk among one another. Well, what is it? What, what is the number? What do we give? But the, the short and kind of most depthful answer is give so you feel generous. That's what generosity is all about. So more about being generous. When the Dhamma is given freely, everyone has a chance to receive the Dhamma. So this is how it's done in, in ancient times and still today in Asia. When the the monks or the nuns who really represent the teachings and the offering of the Dhamma and the ways the instructions are given and just their modeling of keeping of the precepts of non-harming. The monks and nuns would go on alms round in the villages where they live, and there's an interconnection between what they represent in that area. They usually live in the forest nearby and they go to the villages on alms round. It's they call this alms round, not, you know, begging. <laughs> because Begging is something completely different. In in um, Asia, it's the people come out and they're so ready to give. It's not like you know people are waiting at their door uh, and begging for some food. Actually, because we've all been to Burma um, and it's beautiful there. You know, we get up early in the morning and we have a chance to offer to the monks. And um, we go out the door with... Um, people wake up, you know, really early at four to cook. And we go out with our bowls. And we're, we're waiting for them to come because we're so grateful that they exist. And they walk peacefully, coming around the corner with their robes, their beautiful robes, kind of, flying in the, in the little wind in the morning. And just to think of it, No, it makes me so grateful for the existence of this, that it still lives today. So we're all waiting, just kind of wholeheartedly ready to give the food that was made in the morning, the rice and the curries and the fruit and everything, putting them in the bowl. Even the little kids come out, just to give you a picture. They sometimes can hardly stand up. But the moms or the grandmas give them a little spoon, and you know they try to drop it in the bowl. And the monks are kind of bending down to help them, um, you know, get it in there more easily. And there's so much um, gratitude and grace that's happening in that interchange. There's a uh, the monks and the nuns feel very deeply nourished by what is being given and they receive it with gratitude and um, the, the lay people are so grateful for their modeling and their being in the world and their giving, that they give also, you know, the food so they can keep going. So even it now, this is still being done. The dhamma is given freely, because when you when you look at it, you know there's a lot of teachings that are hard to give. The teaching on dukkha, you know, Mark did a wonderful job last night of lightening it up a little more and just kind of having a, a new view of, you know, when we feel dukkha. Okay, it's taking care of ourselves when we do this practice, but there's also a lot of teachings on the defilements and things that are hard to swallow sometimes. So, you know, if you you had to pay to receive this, I I don't think so, you know. Um, So in order to not hold back on the teachings, to totally give them freely, we can say everything. And that's our duty, to to give it all to you and not to hold anything back. Because... um, we're giving freely, you know, and so we, we give everything, and it's not a matter of that we want to please you or to make you happy all the time. you know you're as you know, <laughs> you go around and it's pretty you get pretty grumpy looking at all of the stuff that goes on <laughs> inside, so you might not like to if you were paying that might not be such a good thing <laughs> so. So it's not, it's not given that way, anyway. The is given freely, and people who are grateful also give freely. There's no expectation. You give according to your means and according to what's generous for you. The Buddha said that there are two kinds of rare and precious beings in this world. Those who are grateful who are able to recognize and acknowledge the gifts, these gifts, and those who are generous, those who are able to share what they can of their lives. In the suttas we read that the Buddha would offer the Dhamma in a gradual way. Actually, uh, when we go to the teachings, when we go to retreats in Asia, in Burma, where most of us have practiced, all of us have practiced, um, and, and we've all been monastics in, in Asia as well. We've all been monk, nun. Um, it's really, really important that we, we understand. We hear the teaching of dana all the time. Even, you know, we can be quite depthful and advanced in our practice, but we still hear the teaching of dana because it's presented the way the Buddha presented it in the past. You give the teaching of dana. Then you give the teaching of living in harmony. Then you give the teaching and bhavana and how to develop the mind. But what happened when the Buddhist teaching came to the West is that most of us in the West, you know, were very intelligent people, very psychologically, scientifically oriented. And so when the when the teachings came to the West, it was the third part, the development of the mind or bhavana, that was most interesting for people here so the teachings of meditation came first and then the te- later on the teachings about sila how to live in harmony and dana would come later I mean sometimes we'd go to a retreat like um, we've all done this the whole retreat would be just on sila on keeping the precepts I went once two whole months every single talk was just on sila of course we were given the instructions in how to develop the mind. But um Donna first then Sila. And so in some ways it's come here in the West, I, I if I could be so bold to say is it's come a little backwards. And so we really have to catch up with the true teachings. If we want the teachings to really live in live a long time in the West, if we start You know, doing this thing of paying for the teachings, I really don't know how long they'll survive in that way. So, the Buddha would say about generosity or dana giving, it is the beginning practice for those who wish to diminish the forces of suffering. It's one of the three foundations of spiritual development. Manindra used to call these three foundations the three pillars of the Dhamma. That was his word for it. The first pillar is dhāna, giving. The second pillar is sila, living by non-harming, by the precepts that we take every morning. And bhavana, the development of the mind. This is the meditation. And if one of those pillars is missing, then we don't really have a sturdy foundation in our practice. So we give, we give this to you out of compassion for your needing to really know where, where this is coming from. Otherwise, it's, it's pretty incomplete. So these three pillars, very, very important. Um, establishing each of this found, these foundations need to take uh, care to do that. A conscious intention and to make it look at it as very practical for us because when we practice generosity, we're really what we're really um, understanding deeply in ourselves is that our existence depends on the care we have for one another, depends on the kindness and generosity of others, and not only. Is it in that way where we think our existence depends on the kindness of others, but um, their existence, too, depends on my being kind and my connecting with others? So to understand it both ways, it's a kind of innate wisdom we all have that separates a sense of separate, uh, that dissolves a sense of separateness between us. Brings up a lot of compassion, and it engenders a really stable sense of interconnectedness. When we give, we really have that r- deep stability that we live in this web of life where we're really held. In, in um, Asia, they say, if you take care of the Dhamma, the Dhamma will take care of you. That's why all of us t- as teachers really believe in the dana way of offering the Dhamma because it's kind of a radical faith we have in the Dhamma. Um, and, and it feels like we're really well held in, in this field of interconnectedness. This is a longer talk that I'm making a little shorter Sometimes generosity, it's not an easy dhamma teaching because culturally in the West, happiness and peace have a lot to do with what we acquire. This is um, the habit, and this is ingrained in us living in the West. What we acquire materially, educationally, career-wise, social status-wise. It's not about the cultivation of letting go. And uh, in the dhamma, it's the first one the first teaching because it begins the cultivation of letting go of of not holding on so tightly to you know identification with those difficult mind states of places that are hard for us to open to we open when we open our hearts in generosity many things open to us the ability to see the truth of how things are to let go of those ways that Um, kind of get in the way of seeing the truth that blind us so in the spiritual life happiness and peace and wisdom is realized by letting go there is a renunciation very that more easily comes of greed and hatred, delusion so one of our teachers, Utejaniya says, really dana or generosity is letting go of greed It's not about what you're giving. It's about opening the heart. That's what it's all about. Letting go of the heart that holds on. And we're not talking about material resources here. It's just holding on to those places that really push and pull us around in our lives. In Hawaii, we have this very natural sense of that giving and receiving, giving and receiving, that whole circle that happens all the time with um, what we breathe out into nature, into the trees, and you know something that we let go of, the toxicity of our own bodies. And it's taken in by the greenery around us, and it's put back out as oxygen that when we take in. So there is this constant circling of that giving and letting go in a very um, powerful, yet invisible way. And this can happen, too, in our lives as um, spiritual beings on the path. In Hawaii, when we greet each other, at least um, the elders, our ancient kapuna, uh, when we come together, they we would um, come together and hug. And then when we kind of side by side on each other's um, side of the cheek, we would say, ha, and then go on the other side and say, ha. And so you give your breath and you receive the life force of another one by that other person saying, ha. And this is what aloha means. It means the giving of one's life to one another. You share, you're sharing one's life. It actually, I won't read it to you, but it's even, <laughs> it's even in the general provisions of the state of Hawaii, um, legally, to share one's life with one another, that sense of aloha. So this sharing of one's life is that dana, that generosity. It's one of the qualities of a beautiful human being. One of the, it's a beautiful teaching on um, faith, virtue, wisdom, and generosity. It's one of the qualities of a beautiful human being that the Buddha talked about. It's, a sec, it's the first of the paramis, those beautiful qualities of mind that we begin to develop when we really know uh, that it's important to develop these various qualities. Generosity is one of them, patience, equanimity, loving-kindness, energy, truthfulness, wisdom. Those are all part of it. And more contemporarily, one of our colleagues, Roger Walsh, he's a professor of anthropology and philosophy at the University of California, He studied uh, generosity and found that it was one of the central practices as he researched the main themes that run through compassionate philosophies of the world. Generosity was always included. So very important one. In the Itivuttaka, the Buddha says, If beings knew as I know the results of sharing gifts they would not enjoy their use without sharing them with others. Nor would the taint of stinginess obsess obsess their heart. And even if it were their last and final bit of food, they would not enjoy its use without sharing it if there were anyone to receive it. And Manindraji, my teacher, took this so seriously. There was a time when he stayed with us um, in our home because he was going through a surgery and he needed to recover. And I was I was working at the time and I had to leave and I would have prepare his lunch and uh, he would eat alone. And when I came home, in the beginning I would see these, you know, on the side maybe on a tiny little plate or a napkin there would be some food on the side, some little rice and some curry that I would have made for him. And um, it would be covered with ants or something. And so I'd say, well, Manindraji, what are you doing? Why is this here? And he'd say, there was no one to share it with. So I shared it with the insects. <laughs> and he would just put it by the side there. And it, he wanted to do something, you know, with his sharing. And... Um, there would be lots of times I'd be sitting beside him, and the food would be offered to him, and he would take it, and maybe he'd peel the banana, and he'd take a little off, and he'd try to, you know, just shove a piece of banana in my mouth, <laughs> and because he he wanted to give something. You know, he would, he lived on Donna too, but then when he was given something, he would share it. So then he would he, those little things he would do because he knew the results of sharing gifts as the Buddha said. What the Buddha talked about and other great beings, of course, know about is that the results of sharing gifts is life-transforming. It's in many of the suttas, the old teachings, the ancient teachings, that letting go in this practice that we can do over and over again develops the heart and mind of non-clinging which is a a huge basis for suffering and ignorance feeding that, of course. So when you understand, when you see more clearly, you can see that ways of kind of not holding on, of not clinging, are simple things that we could do every day, places where we can find, we can give, and even in little ways. You know, it doesn't have to be some material resource it's maybe being able to sit down with somebody and to say okay I'll take time and hear you out and uh, maybe give back some of what I've learned or maybe it's just um, you know weeding out there seeing some weeds and knowing that okay I'll clean this up or your giving of your time in your yogi job or something that you do at home you know, volunteer, volunteer here, volunteer places at home. So it's much bigger. I'm talking about something much bigger than than the Dana that's offered to you as a, a possibility here in retreat. Sometimes people are new, you know, and they see, some of you are new, and they see this thing called D A N A out there, and they say, Who's Dana? You know, what? what's that all about? So we really need to give a complete teaching. And it's not about giving to us or the staff here. That's a, that's a part of it. Of course it's an important part. But it's much, much bigger than that. So when I was helping Manindra through that surgery, he asked me if I understood the value of generosity because I was practicing it. And I said, well, I know that I I care for you and I want to take care of you as my teacher, so I'm giving. And um, I don't even consider that I'm giving. It's just natural that we help when somebody needs help. So he said he wanted to to help me to understand that what I was doing was really a priceless gift to him, that my offering to him... Um, help me to go more towards the deathless. (laughs) The deathless means to go towards a place where uh, one would never be born or never have to die. And and that's that's a very profound teaching. But this is the the far aim of the Buddha's teaching and that it would help one to really experience or have the non-experience of Nibbana or Nirvana. And it, the possibility of really having the freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion is truly a precious gift when a teacher gives that. And I wanted to be able to give back. So he said, you can practice in two ways. You can practice with full understanding of what you're doing or you can just keep being generous and you won't have the full understanding of what you're doing but you'll still reap the karmic benefits of giving the karmic benefits of giving are many you know even if you don't know with deep understanding what it's leading to basically um, there's a whole list of you know if you give then it your life will become easier Things, you know, what you offer is normally what comes back to you. My, one of my aunts, um, Auntie Esther, said, you know, you can, ca-, she was Christian, she said, cast your bed, bread upon the waters and what you'll get back is a casserole. You know, it was like just much more than what you give out. And then also in the Dharma they talk about those who give um, sleep well you know, the devas, or the celestial beings, protect them. And also um, that you have a clear complexion. You sleep well. And uh, wherever you go, you'll be received with with happiness and respect. And there's many benefits um, similar to metta, the benefits from metta. But if you give with understanding, and you understand the full karmic benefits. Uh, one of the karmic benefits is liberation. To be able to let go of clinging, the far-ranging range ranging benefit of that, and maybe not so far, is that one is able to really experience freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion. So he wanted to bring out to me... Um, bring out the un, the illimitable realm that we can practice in. It's not just this limited, if you give, somehow you'll receive. It's much greater than that. And you wanted to put it in the light of wise attention. So I thought about how true it is that most of our generous action is out of maybe a symbolic gesture. Like, okay, you know, there's... A donna bowl or whatever, and this is my tip. It's out of a symbolic gesture. Well, and let let just me be blunt. It's a tip is really um, it's kind of like an insult to the Dhamma. It's not about a tip. It's not about an exchange. It's about really offering from your heart, from a place of experiencing your generosity, uh, your uh, gratitude and seeing what what is in your practical means where you can feel generous because it's really letting go of much, much more than material resources. And maybe there isn't material resource right now and there's a way that you can give in another way through service or at another time and that's perfectly fine. I speak for myself, but I think my colleagues also have been in situations where, because of the way we need to live here, sometimes it's not possible to have you know some big, large material resource that we can give. And we want that to be okay. We don't want to give out of routine, you know, that you just kind of willy-nilly do that kind of practice of just put something there. It's a real sacred act that we do. It's not because we're just being nice or because it's the right thing to do. We have to really understand the true meaning uh, and um, what it brings to us, this generosity. So the first aim is to free others, of course, of their worry, of their discomfort, their suffering in the present or maybe in the future. Um, to bring happiness to their lives and comfort. And of course, it's out of our gratitude that we do that. So we really have reflections to go through in that. It's not just, um, you know, a short thing that happens at any time in our lives, here or elsewhere. So the results, this results... um, in greater ease for others, of course, when we give to others. But the second aim is to free ourselves, which is what I've been integrating in the talk here. Because in the practice there's a movement of the heart to open, to let go, to stop holding on, to diminish the forces of suffering within us. So it's not a selfish act when we do that. This comes from wisdom. We know this From a place of wisdom, not from a place, I want this, whatever, nibbana or liberation, so this is why I'm doing this. It doesn't come from there, it comes from wisdom. So, on the external level, it frees others, but on the internal level, it frees ourselves from that deep source of suffering, from attachment. Achan would say, if you don't understand not-self, you can start by understanding non-selfishness. Do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect praise or reward. If you let go a little, you'll have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will have complete peace and freedom and the deepest liberation. So this is the direction that we're, we've, came, we've come here for and why all of these practices are part and parcel of the Dharma. It's not just um, you know, cultivating a, a mind that's powerful and can be aware. It's also developing the understanding of generosity, why that's important, living in non-harmony why that's important. It's why we remind ourselves um, every morning by saying the precepts, taking the precepts. So it's important when you give a gift to not deny its importance of giving, not to minimize what you offer, no matter what the amount is. The amount is about your your feeling of generosity. So the Buddha says, one gives a gift out of faith. One gives a gift respectfully. One gives a gift at the right time with a generous heart and without denigration, without denying its importance. So just one vision I I want to give you Um, or, or two little stories. At the end of a long retreat, it was a time when I had ordained as a nun, and then I disrobed, it was time to go home, and I went to give a gift to uh, one of the, the women who shaved my head all the time. Her her name is Kamala, also her name is Ma Kamala. She was she is a medical doctor, and she was one of the um, assistants to Seda Upandita. And I didn't have much, you know, at the time. It took a lot to get there, and um, you know, the airfare and everything. And so it took a lot to pay the bills while I was gone. So I had the medicines that I never used, and some things that I gave her um, from medicines that I brought extra for her. I had an umbrella, and I had um, uh, some some of my robes which I could leave with her maybe some other little things. And so I made an appointment with her because it's a sacred act and I wasn't just going to leave them for her on a shelf with her name on it. So really just making it in person. They say if you can give in person, the karma's greater because you see, you think about it beforehand, then at the time you give it and you're giving with your whole heart. So in, in the in Burma, you don't just you know say here it is <laughs> or put it down. You you offer it with your right hand and you hold that hand and it's like you give with your whole heart. You give wholeheartedly. So I did that. I gave. So I said to her, Ma Kamala, this is very small. This is just a small gift to you, but it comes from a lot, a lot of gratitude. And I hope I can keep supporting you. Through your practice. And she said this word in a sentence. She said, Chaitana. Chaitana means intention. And so in her response to me, she said, Kamala, Chaitana is not small. <laughs> Chaitana is huge. Your intention, your intention to give, it's leading you to freedom. Chetana is powerful. So I really tuned in to my intention to give and you know every time I sit and I have to remember some goodness, 99% of the time it's always about generosity. It's all about a time that I gave something. And when When we give a meal, like the meals you've been giving, you know, out of your gratitude and your generosity, I look at the board and I feel really happy that you're giving. For your own sake, I feel happy for you. But in Burma, when people give, you know, they give to a whole monastery uh, food for the whole day. The whole family comes. Sometimes, if it's a village, the whole village comes. And they have to have places where they stay under, you know, a, a veranda or something, because not everybody can fit in the hall sometimes. And so they stand on the side, and then the, the food is offered. And then it's this announcement is made this food is being offered by this family or this village or something. And um, we, we acknowledge them and say, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. There's more to it than that, but in short. And they're all standing there at the side, and they're so happy that we're going to eat the food, and that we're going to use it for our daily practice. And the beams on their face, and even the little kids are all dressed up in their best, you know. And they're watching us. And they're really happy that they've given so, there's so much more. There's so much more to this. Um, but I want to end with... Um, this, is, this was written from um, in my, the very first long retreat I went to. And it was written by Seda Upandita. And it's about Dana, Sila, and Bhavana. He said it in Burmese and it was translated. Adorned with a garland of giving... Feeling joy and dignity with kind living. Birth only in states of clarity. Great beauty results with integrity. Adorned with the fragrance of virtuous activity. For others, a care and sensitivity. Birth only in states of contentment. A heart removed of the thorns of resentment. Adorned with the sweetness of tranquility soft rapture from a life of simplicity, birth only in states of calm peace, mental turbulence and distraction all cease. Adorned with the brightness of clear insight, the true nature of the world is seen right, birth only in states of ease and happiness, a mind of wise discernment and openness. The three poisons of wrong view, conceit and craving No longer hidden, hinder, or cause inner tightening. Vow deeply to develop the true way, adorned in the heart, then freedom will lay. So let's let that understanding just sink in for a few moments of silence. Let go of the words. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. I'd like to introduce um, our wonderful manager and also Dawn, who will take over now with other information.